everybody, and welcome to Coach to Coach. I'm your host, Matt Wade, former U.S. college coach and now your director of prospect management here at NSR Australia New Zealand. Uh, super, super excited about Coach to Coach. It's a show where I'm going to sit down with a new coach from a new school, a new sport, and a new division each and every episode uh, in the hopes that it gives you, the international prospect, some insight into how the mind of a college coach works, what they expect from their recruits, what they're looking for, and the values that de define the programs that they run. Uh, what that'll do for you at the end of the day is, is hopefully better prepare you for when you have offers and you're communicating with college coaches at the end of your uh, NSR journey when you're about to head to the United States. Uh, this week, I'm coming to you from Lindstrom Field in beautiful Lindsborg, Kansas, uh, home of the Bethany College Swedes. Uh, I'm going to be sitting down with Coach Justin Olson from Bethany College. He's the head women's soccer coach. Uh, and Coach Olson is a longtime friend of the NSR Australia New Zealand program. He's worked at multiple different schools, uh, coached both men's and women's, uh, and he's recruited athletes from us for a number of years. He's got some great insight. He's got some great values. Uh, and, and I hope that you enjoy what Coach Olson has to say. So sit back and enjoy. Uh, hope you really enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome to Coach to Coach. I'm sitting down today with head coach Justin Olson. Uh, he's the head women's soccer coach at uh, Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. Coach Olson, how are you? Thanks for joining me. Tell me what's happening right now in Lindsborg, Kansas. Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, things are going well. We're actually on spring break this week, so a nice quiet week in the office uh, to allow us to catch up on a few things and sort of plan for the remaining part of our spring season. And the girls will be back next week, back to work. Uh, our last spring game is on the 28th, so we're gearing up for that. And then we'll be heading into the summer. Very good, man. Very good. Well, um, look, nobody here in Australia New Zealand knows anything about Lindsborg, Kansas, or Bethany College, for that matter. We'll get into that. But uh, Lindsborg, Kansas, what, what can you tell me about it? You know, it's you're literally located right right in the middle of the state. Um, you know, when I came down and interviewed, I myself didn't know anything about Lindsborg, Kansas. And when we moved down or when we came down to, to check everything out, we really fell in love with the area and school. And you know, the, the selling point to me was it's a top 100 city in the U.S. to live and now I can see why, um, based on the people that live there and, and the culture that is a part of our makeup here. Yeah, look, I think I'm from um, I'm from Texas originally. Obviously, you, you know. Um, for those of you that don't know, Coach Olson and I have worked together for um, probably the better part of six, seven years uh, when it comes to recruits. So it's it's yeah, it's good to have you on. But um, look, the the Midwest area of the United States, like a lot of families and a lot of athletes, they don't even think about it. Uh, here in Australia, New Zealand, because it's it's a landlocked, you know, there's no coast anywhere. But um, I, I say always, you know, just how good the people are uh, in, in the Midwest. Um, and, and it sounds like Lindsborg, Kansas is no different. You know, it was it was a culture shock for me in the beginning because I lived in Chicago for nine years. So I was just used to how fast everything was. And there were, you know, people were slamming doors in your faces and there just wasn't a lot of that camaraderie there and, and you know moving here to Kansas the interesting story I have is we were at Lowe's purchasing some furniture and uh, my fiance and I were sitting there trying to load this piece of furniture in the back of my car and this middle-aged guy pulls up in a pickup and asked how far we lived and said hey you can throw that in the back of the pickup and I'll take it to your house for you and 
my first instinct was out of your mind. And then, you know, we ended up getting in, in, into the car, which was funny, but it, that's just the type of people here. You know, when we first got here, that was a shock to us, but you know, we're getting used to it now. But like you just said, I mean, it was, we were really impressed with just how polite and nice people. I mean, you don't really meet a stranger here. You don't be at a restaurant. People just start talking in or at the store. It's just, it's, it's, it takes a little while to get used to based on where we came from, but you know, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, also, you know, being the head coach of, of, of the local college probably does you some favors in the community. People, uh, people know who you are and people know who Bethany College is. It, it's probably the, you know, like, like most smaller towns with, with a college in them, it's kind of the epicenter of, of, of the community social scene. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. yeah how, I, when we were like walking by the stores and stuff and they, all the businesses and downtown places have like Bethany College schedules up and just swag and it, it's a very supportive town which is which is really nice to see awesome well um well look it, it wasn't always uh bethany college um before bethany college uh, you know it was it was saint joe's and before saint joe's it was calumet college saint joseph and before that um you're obviously a you, you're a college athlete so um please tell me where where it all started man before you even became a coach um, tell me about your college experience and, and, you know, where, I guess what you, what you enjoyed most, uh, about what, what led you to being a coach really? Yeah, it all started about nine years and 30 pounds ago. Um, I was <laughs> a school down in Evansville, Indiana. It's an NCAA division two school that competes in GLVC. So I went down there and, and played, um, my, friend who was actually the starting goalie on the team was recruited first and I, I was kind of in limbo. I didn't really market myself in recruiting. I, I honestly just had no idea about the process. I was just really naive to it. And he was like, Hey, we need another defender. And my dad and I hopped in the car and drove five hours South and you know, the, the rest is history. And, you know, when I was done playing in college, I was kind of done with soccer. I was ready to, to move on to, you know, a big boy job and, and see what my next steps were. And then, I actually started as an assistant coach just to make some extra money on the side. And as I started to go through that part of my life, I slowly was realizing that, you know, this would be such an amazing, I had no idea that you can make a career out of coaching. And as I started to do it, I was really starting to fall in love with the profession and I kind of threw everything in, into one basket and eventually landed my first head coaching job, which was part-time. And then, a women's coach at Calumet College resigned and the AD called me in and asked if I wanted to do both programs, which would make me full time. And I accepted the the position thing. I would never, I always used to say I would never coach women and here I am coaching women only. So it's, it's kind of an interesting <laughs> train of um, how my career has gone, but I wouldn't trade any experience for the world. Every, every place I've worked has, has made me better and improved me. And you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do down here at Bethany. No, very good, man. Very good. Well, um, I guess thinking back on your college experience, what what was it that that still to this day stands out to you? I think that's one thing that that we try and uh, tell our, our our student athletes here in Australia, New Zealand. It's it's this is something that will will stick with you forever. It'll be a part of your life forever. The memories and the friends and the things like that. But um, you know, just just I want I want people to to understand that coaches are. They're just like these athletes, just older, you know, like you've lived it, you've done it. What was your favorite part uh, of, of being a college athlete? You know, honestly, it's, you know, I'm 32 years old now. You know, I, I don't even remember the first college game I played or even the last, but I, what I still think about to this day is just 
the interaction I have and the camaraderie I have with my teammates. I mean, being invited to each other's weddings and running into each other randomly on, you know, on the coaching circuit or for our alumni event weekend or, or something. And just, you can look at someone you haven't seen in five years and just start laughing because of something you, you did that was stupid in the locker room or on a bus trip or, or something. That, that's what you take <laughs> from this experience, in my opinion. I mean, outside of maybe winning a national championship or doing something spectacular, you know, if you're not a part of an experience like that, what you will remember is the time you spent with your, with your teammates and just the shenanigans you would get into and just the overall experience stays with you longer, in my opinion, than, you know, the competitive playing experience will. Yeah. Most definitely. And and that's that's one of those things that you just don't uh so you don't necessarily remember all the goals or all the games specifically, but overall it's just the the whole experience now to me is it's all just one big piece as opposed to like individual years. And and I guess it it gets that way like the older that you get. Um but uh, Coach Olson, tell me what led you to to getting to Bethany. I know you touched on it a little bit, but um, you know, when you jumped into the world of coaching, obviously that you said part-time at, at, at Calumet St. Joseph, that went to full-time. Um, what, what happened from there? What, what led you to, to now Bethany? Sure. Um, I was at Calumet College of St. Joseph for six years overall, two years as an assistant and four years as a head coach. And then I was, I contacted St. Joseph's College, which was a division two school about an hour from where Calumet College was. And I went down and interviewed there and, and I was hired. Um, after about a year, uh, the school announced that they were having some financial difficulties. And you know, at the time, we, we thought, okay, we were going to make some changes and do some things. And to make a long story short, um, we had another meeting in, last February, and they announced that the school was going to be closing at the end of the academic year. So it was a very crazy time. You know, all the players in the team were, you know, having to find places to transfer. You know, and my thing at the time was, well, I'm not going anywhere until I know you guys are all taken care of. And, you know, we, my assistant and I did, we took the team to showcases. We took, you know, we called coaches. We were, we were getting a bunch of phone calls ourselves. So it was a really odd time. And then you know, I was applying at a few jobs after a while. And then Bethany contacted me and, and flew me down. And I was, wasn't really sure what I was getting myself into. I've, I had never been to Kansas outside of Kansas city to recruit before. And, you know, I wanted to see what it was about and I got off the plane and it was very homey to me because I grew up in Indiana. So in, in Kansas and Indiana landscapes are very similar. So it, it wasn't a culture shock for me as, as far as the landscape of things. I did the interview process. I met the team and I was really liking everything. They called me a few days later, offered me the position. And then my girlfriend and I rented a car, drove back down for a couple of days. She wanted to see everything. And then once she saw everything, I got the green light. And then <laughs> picked up and, and moved down Smart here. Smart man. Yeah. So she's a physical <laughs> therapist. But she got a job at the local hospital here, and she's doing well there. And, you know, we wanted to do something, you know, adventurous and, and see where this journey would take us. And, you know, we're really happy with how things have been going so far. No, fantastic, man. That's awesome story. Um, now, what is your why? Like, why do you coach? What What is it about coaching uh, that's, that, you know, made you make a career of it, you know? And, and, and it, I, I can tell you from, you know, my experience as a college coach, like it is a, it is a full on lifestyle. If you don't love it, like you, you, you don't do it. Um, so why, what is it about coaching and, and what is it about the, the experience of being a head coach? Um, you know, what, what is your why? 
you know, I, that's kind of, I have two answers for that. The first one is really, you know, the relationships that I've built over time with the players that I've coached and kind of seeing them grow up and watch them come full circle in their lives. I'm starting to get some of their wedding invites now. And, and I'm very proud of, of that fact that I can see them kind of grow and mature in front of you and move on. I mean, I, I don't have children of my own yet. So in a way that the players that I coach are kind of my, my own teenage kids that we have to slap upside the head at times. Um, but I've really grown to appreciate the time that I have with them. And, you know, there's, there's great days and then there's hard days too, like any job, but you know, the, the takeaway that I have with this is, you know, going home and knowing that I'm hopefully doing the world a little bit of good and bringing these players in and, and making them better than when I found them and, you know, preparing them for the next steps. And, you know, the second part is that competitive piece. I mean, the, there's no other job that I can think of that you that literally hits every emotion in your body other than coaching <laughs> happiness, sadness, frustration, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, that's, there's never the same day twice in the coaching world, in my opinion. I mean, you, you have big wins, you have big losses and you know, how you respond to, to both of those scenarios are, are very important. So those are the two reasons for me. It's, you know, I, I know that I can, come home on a weekend after a big game and, and be either really proud of what we did or, or be sitting at home thinking, okay, what are we going to do to rebound from this? And it, it really just hits every emotion in your body. So I just, it just makes me feel really alive. If that makes sense. And you know, that that's sort of why I started to fall in love with the profession when I was on the assistant side and then obviously worked my way up to where I am now. Yeah. Very good, man. Well, um, the, the most frustrating part I think about being a coach is that you can't go out and do it yourself. <laughs> Like, like you, you, you used to be able to, and you're like, no, 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 like, like, the, uh, uh. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, it is a, it is a whole new world of, of, you know, I guess getting your message across and, and, and motivating people to, to do something. And it, and it taught me a, a lot, you know, individually as well. So now that's fantastic. Now, um, what are the core values that define you as a coach, uh, that define, you know, your athletic program, um, but also sort of the style in which you, you, you coach. Um, what are those core values that, that, that really lead uh, you in every way? Yeah, you know, for me, it's I'm very passionate about what I do, and I think anyone that's ever played for me, you know, won't disagree with that. Whether they like me as a coach or not, they can't say that. They didn't see the passion that I had for what I do. And, you know, my I really try to instill hard work and, and good attitudes in, in these student athletes, because I mean, the, those are two things that require zero skill. I mean, you, you could be the best player in the world or the worst player in the world. As long as you have those two components, I think you're going to be successful at anything that you do. And it's going to take time. You know, th- those two things for me transcend what, what I do and really just everything that we do revolve around those two concepts. And we really just try to remind themselves. We try to remind each other as coaches sometimes too, we have to make sure we're doing the right things at the right times and, and for the right reasons. But I think with those two things, it, with anything, any profession in this world, I mean, it, it can be a positive experience. And, you know, I try to carry myself as a coach in the same way. I mean, they know when I'm mad, they know when I'm happy, you know, but I try to be consistent and, and hold them accountable for what they do. And I tell them, if you know, you hold me accountable for what I do as well. And, you know, it, we get through this together and it's been, I certainly haven't learned everything that I need to learn, but I, I feel like I get better every year. I do different things to improve, but ultimately at the root of everything are those two concepts that I just mentioned. Yep. Um, so passion, attitude, accountability. Yep. That would be, <laughs> that's, that's 
Yeah. So now what, um, what are the most important traits that you look for in, in recruits? Um, and, and explain, you know, to, to the families here, it's, it's, you know, I, I guess when, when I was recruiting, it, it's not necessarily about just recruiting kids from the States or, or recruiting kids from Australia or recruiting kids from England. Like it's, it's really a concept of, of recruiting anywhere and everywhere. Like it, it's, it's finding the best kids no matter what, but what is it, uh, what, what specific traits are, are you always looking for uh, in, in any, any, any athlete, any family, anything that, that, that you're speaking with about coming in and, and being a part of your program? Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that, you know, that really show gets us interested is, is the ability that the player has. I mean, the, the first thing we're going to look at is your highlight video. Okay, great. Um, we're, we're interested or we're not. That's sort of the, the carrot that we're dangling, but really the, after that, I mean, I want to, I want to recruit someone that knows a little bit about our school before I even have that first conversation. You know, nothing irks me more than when, you know, what, what did you read about on our website? Oh, I haven't had time to get on your website. Like really you haven't had 15 minutes in the last two weeks to, to find, you know, three sentences on our website. You know, I, I, that doesn't send a very good signal to start with, you know, and, and I, and the way that families communicate is very important. I mean, if I send you an email on a Tuesday and I don't get a response for seven to eight days and you weren't like out of town or anything, you know, that, that's another red flag. It's like, I mean, how excited are you to, to reach out to me? I mean, if, if you're not that excited, then why, you know, why waste each other's time? But if you are, I mean, I feel like you should get back within a day or two, you know, based on how we're communicating. I know it's a world away sometimes with the time difference, but that's the beauty of email. You can send an email anytime and, you know, when we get it, we get it. So those are, those are two big things right off the bat. Um, you know, make sure that they're being prepared and, and who they're talking to, not just sending out emails to 50 schools, not knowing anything about them. And then secondly, just being punctual in, in your responses and, and professional in, in that sense, but have as much information about yourself ready to go as possible. But also you should do a little research on your end about who you're talking to and, and why. Yeah. Um, now you, you mentioned it a little bit, but the, the red flags, like what, what tells you straight away that, you know, you, you, you see a good highlight. Actually let's, Back up just a little bit, right? Um, families, I, I think people have a, a tough time understanding that a, as a head coach, like video evaluation is is a huge part of of, of what we do. Like yeah. it's it's not like a mom or dad just watching a game and, and and only spotting the the one athlete. You know, it's 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 really breaking down the the whole thing. Can do you feel, especially when it when it comes to international recruits, explain. Um, you know, in, in your experience, what you see in highlight videos, uh, and, and then also how that leads to watching full length footage and, and, and how you use that to evaluate international prospects and, and, and why video? Hey, you know, international video is especially more important than anything here in the U S because I can't just fly to Australia when I want to go watch two players or three players. I mean, I'm, I'm really relying on footage that they have available to show me, to showcase what they can do for our team moving forward. So, you know, one thing that's kind of frustrating is when someone emails me and they're forward and like, oh, I scored 35 goals this season. And then when they send me their footage, there's not one clip of them scoring a goal. It makes no sense to me. Um, (laughs) It depends on, you know, the positions that you play. Like if you're a defender, I want to see footage of you winning tackles, winning headers, you know, maybe some free kicks or, or whatever type of player that you are. Yeah, but if you're a forward or a midfielder, I want to see your pace. I want to see your one-on-one ability. I want to see, you know, can you 
hit a ball from 20 or 30 yards out or, you know, the, you know, whatever we're recruiting at the time. But I think you just have to use your highlight video as a way, to, you know, like a movie trailer. You're kind of showcasing a few aspects of your game to get us interested. And then I'm going to say, okay, can you send me a half or a full game? And then I can watch you play. You know, I want to, I do want to see you make mistakes and, and more importantly, how you respond. I mean, if you're a forward and you make a bad pass and you're still 10 yards away from that person, are you going to go win that ball back? Or are you just going to walk and be lazy about it? I mean, those are the things that we want to see as coaches because they're not the only forward in this world that we can recruit. And what can you do as a student athlete to separate yourself from the pack? And having that high work rate that I mentioned a few minutes ago is it's just so important because that's the style that of a team that I'm building. And, and those are the players that fit our mold. I mean, not every midfielder forward fits our mold and, and we're the same way on the reverse end of that. But I think if you can showcase enough of yourself to really pique our interest, then that really leads to step two, step three, and then hopefully an offer will follow that. Right. And, and look, I, I think again, something that we echo, it's, it's that highlight, that highlight package is, is what captures attention. Yep. The the full link stuff is what allows further evaluation of, of just um, not, not just the one athlete, but the overall competition and, and, and how it all, uh, sort of works. Um, but then it's, you know, from that point, it, it, it's, you, you still haven't done anything in the U S you know, <laughs> like, like right. you, you, I mean, that's only video explain to me like your mentality about bringing athletes in and, 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 and really, you know, what's, what's the message the first day of preseason we'll, we'll get into what preseason is and all that and here in just a minute. But, um, you know, once, once you've decided yet, yeah, I, I, I want that recruit, um, I, I guess explain like, what, what is there still left to prove once they actually get there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, we're, we're giving you a scholarship to come here and, and compete, but that a scholarship is a scholarship. It's not it, – we're not handing you a, a physical check, you know, to come in and, and move play you as, as we need you to. I mean, you're coming in and you're going to compete. I mean, the way that I do it personally that may be different than others is – I don't, you know, if I offer a forward, you know, a really high amount and then there's another forward that maybe we couldn't offer that same amount to and that second forward is the better player, they're the one that's going to play, you know, then that's my mistake for mis- mishandling, you know, our, our offer to someone. But, you know, there's countless examples I could come up with. But, you know, once they get here to preseason, you know, we brought you here because we felt like you're going to make our team better, but now you're going to have to prove it. I, I don't care what you did in Australia or Wyoming or California. I mean, it, now you're at the college level where everyone is going to be bigger, faster, stronger than, than what you've seen so far in your career. And I want to see how you respond to that. You know, playing the first few games is easy, but when we're ninth, 10th, 15th, 17th game of the season, now I want to see how, how we're holding up with our mentality, how we're holding up physically. You know, are we still fighting the same way we fought on the first game, you know, to the last game of the year? I mean, those are all those things that kind of get balled into one, but it's really just a, about competing come in showcase what you can do you know the academic side plays a huge role I mean going to class getting good grades I mean if you stop doing those things there's no way you're going to see the field so you have to make sure you're doing everything that you're being asked to do and we do not make it easy on these women because we have to prepare them for after college and you know I feel like I've gotten a few phone calls later in life for certain players and they'll say you know what I was really pissed at you at the time for doing this, but now I see why you did it and it really helped me. I didn't really realize it at the time. So, you know, hearing that stuff is, is always nice, but once they come in, I mean, they just gotta be ready to go. It's, it's fast paced. It's, you know, six days a week for, you know, three and a half months. It, it's, 
it does not slow down until you pretty much get to Thanksgiving. So that's when they have to be ready to go physically, but more importantly, mentally. Yeah. Um, now, one of the hard things for families to understand here is, is you know, how early do athletes start getting evaluated? Um, you know, I, I guess, firstly, how, how early do you start evaluating prospects um, in, in terms of recruiting for, for, you know, one year, two year, three year, four years in advance, but then also, you know, describe a bit about what you're competing with, with, you know, some of the other schools and the other types of schools that are, that are out there. Like, like how early are athletes, uh, you know, being evaluated by coaches for, for post high school? Yeah. You know, it's, it, it comes as quite the surprise, you know, even to myself when I was first starting to, to get into this game and, you know, when you're looking at the big top 10 programs in the nations, the Notre Dames, you know, all, all those types of places, you know, they're looking at eighth graders and ninth graders. You know, that's how early they are. You know, a school like us, you know, I pretty much look at sophomores and up. I don't really go younger than sophomore year. I mean, if I get a few freshmen that come to an idea. Again, ex- explain explain sophomore year. Like, uh, again, lingo that, that you and I understand, but not everybody understands yeah. here. So sophomore would be your second year in high school. Junior would be your third year in high school. And senior would be your last year in high school. So year 10 – Pretty much is usually the earliest that you start evaluating. 15, 15 to 16 year olds and up basically is the way to, to phrase that yeah. for the non, you know, sophomore speaking lingoists. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're a smaller school, so I can get away with that. You know, if I was coaching at a, a you know, a bigger, you know, big time D1 school, then we would certainly be looking at a, a much larger pool because you have very limited roster options for those places. So it really just depends on the, level you're coaching at, the, the size of your school, where your school is located, all those different things. But at the same time, I mean, I think a lot of international families, when, you know, like it's April right now and I'll be talking to them and I'm like, you know, when are you looking to make a decision? And they tell me the summer and I kind of look at them like, do you, you realize that I only have like one spot left on my team, you know, and it's, they don't quite understand the timeline. And I think that recruiting education that you can give, you know, your clients, as early as as possible is is invaluable to them because they, they I don't know how things go in Australia and likewise they don't necessarily know the process here in the states but if you can become educated then you can get ahead of it and that's sort of where I've had some challenges with international recruiting at times is they just don't quite understand the the time frame I'm like look I'm not trying to back you into a corner but you also have to understand I'm talking to five or six other people you know you're my first choice but if you can't give me an answer in a few weeks then I have to move on to to part two or, you know what I mean? So it's just little things like that that I think are very important for families to educate themselves on. And if they don't know, then they need to ask questions. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking a coach, how many roster spots do you have available? When are you looking to be completely done for this recruiting class? You know, educate yourself as, as the student athlete. So that way you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Well, look, one thing that I always tell families here is that it's, it's never too early to start. Like, it's never too early. You can't be too early to start this process because, you know, you're going against like kids from the U S like us, you know, that, that, you know, you're going to go to college. Like that's something that, you know, like from the time that you're like five, right? (laughs) Like, uh, you know, that after high school, you're going to go to college. So it's never too early to start, but it certainly can be too late. That's very true. And it's, you know, I'm sure these kids can take 10 minutes from their Snapchatting to Google a few schools or Google a few (laughs) things about, you know, what, what their goals and what they're, what they're looking for and you know, start making a list. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a 16 or 17 year old having a list of 10 schools that they 
are considering, you know, applying to and, and looking at and getting information on those schools as early as possible. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Now, look, I guess what what is it that you feel that international students bring to a team? Um, again, in my experience, like I, I had a I had a roster uh, of you know, well, I had two teams, a first and a reserve team. We had, you know, nearly 50 guys in the program. And, and I think I had uh, like 18 different countries represented within that. So, and, and, I, and I know what I liked about the international uh, students, but in your experience as a coach, what do you feel that the international recruits and international students bring uh, to your team? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny because when I first started coach, uh, going out as a head coach, you know, that's when you and I had connected and I started getting players from you guys and, it was a learning experience for me at the time because I had I had one player on my team from Brazil when I was in college and everyone else is from here in the U.S. So as a player, I never really experienced much of that. But now as a coach, what I've learned to appreciate is when I bring someone over internationally, their mindset and their their drive is is a little bit sharper than maybe a local kid just because they're they know that they're coming from so far away. They really have to make the most of this opportunity and. You know, it's that, and as a coach, why wouldn't you want as many of those players on your team as you can possibly find? So that's where I've had a lot of success and, and good fortune with international prospects is they're not just coming here to, to, to waste their time and, and do things because it's mom and dad aren't going to pay that amount of money for them to just come out here and, and not be responsible with their goals. So I think the biggest thing for me is just that mindset, that drive, like, okay, I'm here for a reason. You know, I know what what's in front of me. I know the tasks that I have to complete and it's, it's nice to see that happen because then that can have a trickle down effect within your team and maybe inspire a few other players around them to, to do the same thing. So that's really the biggest thing. And then the second one is, you know, outside of, you know, most country soccer is their number one sport. So you're, you just get a different type of, of kid that is playing year round. They're, they're playing in the street, they're playing in the park, they're playing for their local club team. They're, they're always around the game and, and doing different things. So they just bring a different flavor to your team. And, you know, we're going to learn things from them. They're going to learn things from us. And we want to try to combine everything into the best possible, you know, result we can put together. And, you know, that's that's what's been nice for me to see. And I, I've always had international players on my teams, at, you know, even after my first year. It's just been such a breath of fresh air at times. And, you know, you bring kids in from all over. But then when you bring in a few out of out of the country kids it's it's fun to watch them interact and grow those friendships and then they'll bring a few american girls home with them for spring break and it, it just creates a lot of good vibes you know i think if, as long as you're getting the right players on, on in the mix so yeah no that's that's awesome um and and it's true both both of those things very very true in terms of what they international kids can bring to a team but uh again coming from coming from somebody other than me uh it, it's, it's good to hear it's good to hear that uh, well, yeah, and, and that's what this is all about. I think, um, you know, coach to coach is a pretty cool thing, like j- just because it allows families to see that, you know, what what we talk about and, and, and the passion that we have for what we do, it's, it, it stems from the fact that we've done it. And, 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 and you know, you can see it in every single coach. So, um, look, I, I, I'm stoked about, you know, having the show and, and, and getting yeah. to, to interview guys like yourself. But, um, look, what what are the biggest challenges that you face with recruiting, I mean, what what is the the toughest part of of recruiting? Explain, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, that uh, you know Bethany College is is an NAIA school. Um, everybody only hears about the NCAA, and and that's you know 
that's everything, right? Um, ex- explain to me, firstly, you know, just the, the challenges that you face with recruiting and, and uh, then just about your, your experience coaching in, you know, a couple of different, uh, different divisions, different conferences, and what you see as overall, um, you know, the, the, the idea of, of, of the, the differences in the two. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice for me because I've coached in both the NCAA and in the NEI. And I, I think that when I, when I was in NCAA, no one ever asked me what the NCAA was. You know, that was pretty straightforward. It's, you know, because we were, I was coaching in the Division II level. But now that I've been back into the NEI, a lot of people almost look at like you have NCAA Division One, Two, II, and Three, and then you have the NEI. And that's not the case. The, the NEI is very similar in terms of NCAA Division II. And even when I was coaching at Calumet College, we would play local D2 schools in the spring, and we'd beat them 2-1, to 1-0. One, one, Some years they would beat us, but they were always very, very competitive games. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is the scholarship structures for Division II and NEI are, are very, very similar. So we can afford to buy those players that, you know, are maybe looking at both, you know, NEI and NCAA schools. And it's just about building the value. I mean, that's – that's, you know, one of the bigger challenges, in my opinion, because, you know, when I'm going after a kid that is looking at nine or ten other schools and I'm the only NEI school, it's sometimes they're like, well, why why would we even consider you guys compared to these places? And it's like, well, you know, I give my X, Y, Z reasons why. You know, and the second thing is just there's so many schools now and there's, you know, so many showcases and, and opportunities where, you know, these markets are starting to get oversaturated. So, you really have to act quickly on these prospects because if you take your time as a coach, there's already six or seven people that have beat you to the punch. So I think those are probably the two biggest things in, in, in recruiting that are challenging to me is just number one, you know, explaining what the NEI is and, and the branding that's behind it. And then number two is just how much competition is truly out there for each of these kids. So as coaches, we try to find those secret markets that, you know, we, we only know about and, and those connections, but at the same time, I mean, you, club coaches want to open up as many doors as they can. So it's just one of those things that's, you know, that's part of the game, but that's also makes it as, as rewarding as it is when you do land that kid that you've been recruiting for two years and they finally say yes and sign. I mean, those are the moments, you know, like we talked about a few minutes ago about hitting every emotion that you can possibly have as a coach. Like that's when you can, okay, now I have a little bit of weight off my shoulders. I can relax, go home, take my misses out on a date and, and all those things. But <laughs> those are really the two biggest challenges for me, you know, just, the branding. I mean, sometimes when I'm talking to international players, they're like, well, no, I only want to look at NCAA Division One schools. And I'm like, well, if you're not being recruited by a Division One school, they're already done, you know, so what are we doing here? And, you know, it's just those things that, you know, can be challenging, but at the same time, they, they don't know. So you can't really fault them for that. So I try to explain to them the process and, you know, each coach has to build their own value about their school, about their program and, and where they see that potential student athlete fitting in and you know that's it's a dog eat dog world out there so we just got to make sure we're doing the best we can with what we have and buying the right kids for our program yeah and and look i, I think you, you touched on some good points there in in the sense that um you know there, there's a great level of competition in every single division like 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 i was the head coach of a junior college program and and we used to beat drake you know, like the NCAA Division One in, in spring games and exhibition games. Like we we would, you know, we we would battle with anybody in the country. Uh, I, I think, except for those, you know, maybe top fifteen, top twenty NCAA Division One powerhouses, right? But like, but the NAIA is is phenomenal level of competition. You know, um, you you've got that with with 
you know, again, in terms of size and, and in terms of uh, types of school and student population and level of competition, I, I think the the NCAA Division Two and and the NAIA are they're essentially carbon copies almost. Um, in in that sense, with the NAIA just being a little bit more international friendly, I think. Um, would you agree with that? Like, because of the the less restrictions, like, would you think that the NAIA is just a little bit probably there's probably more internationals playing in the NAIA than than people realize. Oh, 100 percent. You know, and it's it's just a, the NAIA is just a different governing body. I mean, you have the NCAA, you have the NAIA. I mean, it's it's just you can go one way or the other in this process, you know, but yeah, the, the NEI is certainly a little bit, they're a little bit more looser in their rules. I mean, there's, it's not that they don't have rules. That's not the, the case. It's just more of, okay, like there's no age restriction, but, you know, but they will look at where players played. I mean, if you've played professionally, you can't just come over here and play in college, you know, so there's different things and the NEI really stepped up their game in the last decade to, you know, to mandate those things. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of internationals at the NEI just because it's, it's a little bit easier for them to, to get through all the hoops they have to jump through to get to the NAI compared to the NCAA. And, you know, some players from different countries have harder times than others based on where they come from or leagues that they've played in. So yeah, it's, you know, there's teams where I've played that they have four Americans on the team and it's, you know, it's kind of eye opening. And then, then you play teams that don't have any international. So I think it's just each coach's sort of, you know, approach to where they see things, where they see their team and, you know, more importantly, what their school and, and athletic directors want them to do as far as, you know, build that program moving forward. Yeah. No, well, look, that's that's good. Um, and, I, and I think everything that we've talked about up until this point, about what you look for in recruits and, and you know, just, just the whole your why, all that is, is fantastic. Now, I uh, want to get into sort of the final phase of things and, and just explain, you know, your, 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 your full year schedule. All right. Start with with what your preseason, um, and and then what happens when they go to you know to in season because students here see oh it's a three and a half month season like oh what are we going to do for the rest of the year <laughs> like um, yeah. and, and then talk about the off season and, and everything like I, I try and explain to to families and and we try and explain to families that look look it's six out of seven days a week nine out of twelve months a year but your competitive season goes from this time I, I think it's Again, it's another tough concept to grasp, um, but but explain, um, you know, when when do athletes arrive on campus for you know for for preseason? What what is preseason like? How that transitions into the season, and and you know how that then transitions into off season, and what sort of happens with that? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's and that's a great question because, like you just said, when I get a lot of these international freshmen come in there. They don't really know, and then by the end of the year, they're like, "I had no idea it was going to be like that intensive as long as it was." <laughs> and, you know, the fall yeah. is certainly the busy time. So, I mean, for us, you know, the, the student athletes will arrive on campus about a week before classes start. They'll move into their dorms. They'll have a few days to to get settled. Then that mo- that first Monday morning, that we can start doing things with a ball. We will get together, and that whole week is you know fitness installing you know, some of our offensive stuff, defensive stuff, going over our formation, just we're bringing in such a large class this year. So my assistant and I, we have to make sure we're evaluating the girls. I mean, we're going to know in the first five minutes who put the work in in the summer and who did it. So that's, that's step a, um, you know, we'll go through preseason and then, you know, we'll have a game, like usually a scrimmage after a week or two. So we'll have two scrimmages that just kind of gear up for the season. Then we have six non-conference games that, 
don't count towards anything other than your record. So some teams will start try to play, you know, top 25 teams to get them their themselves nationally ranked or different things. But then once your conference season starts, it's that's what your focus is. You know, you get three points for a win, one point for a tie, or no points for a loss. So at the end of the season in our conference, the top eight teams will go into a playoff, and then the winner of that playoff tournament goes to the national tournament. So obviously that's everyone's goal in the conference is we want to get to that national tournament, but there's only so many room for so many um, teams. And so we'll go through the season, which hopefully goes as far into November and December as possible. And then once your season comes to an end, you know, I, I give my players two weeks off. Like I'll do, I'll give them a week off where don't want to see you go, go live your lives, do what you need to do. And then week two. Let I'll, me pump the brakes just a little bit. Let me pump yeah. the brakes. Just a Preseason, how many sessions a day for how long? Uh, depends. Uh, depends on the, how the first day goes, you know, and is the, the expectation is that they're putting in work on their own in the summer. Are they ever going to be fully prepared for preseason? No, of course not. But they need to come in in the best shape possible because our preseason is, is designed to build on what they should have been doing on their own. And we give them these yeah, workouts. How, how do the internationals, how do the internationals adjust to preseason? I think the biggest challenge, you know, is like we're there's the humidity here is, is different than Australia or, you know, we had a girl from Scotland this year that she came in and like she was fine, like fitness wise, but she couldn't breathe and how thick the air was. So that took her about two weeks to get used to. Um, but I think the amount of running and, and is, is unique to the international game. I mean, I, the American game is always said to be more focused on a, athletic ability, which I don't always agree with, but there's certainly that running component, especially women's soccer. There's that athletic component that comes into it. Um, but that's, that's been the biggest adjustment. I think it's just the, the humidity adjustment. I mean, you know, you're leaving Australia when it's warm and you're coming to Kansas when it's 104 degrees during your 7 a.m. practice. So we're practicing now, at least 100, 104 degrees, 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Let me do, the, let me do the conversion. Uh, it's, a, it's about 40, about 41. Okay. So yeah, so 41 Celsius. Look, I, I'm I've been here for about seven years now, so I, yep. I, I'm I live on both systems still. Um, but uh, that was a big that was a big one. I'm like I'm like, what do you mean? Like 35? What? That's freezing. Like <laughs> no, but um, yeah. but yeah. So so preseason typically on average, how long does this preseason last? How many sessions per day are you running? It's typically two to three weeks of what I would consider the, the preseason portion of the season. The it le- It's at least two sessions a day, and then we'll have one day where they're completely off. So it's six days a week. And then hopefully week three is us easing off the gas a little bit and saying, okay, we're going to maybe train in the morning, and then the afternoon we'll get together and we'll do some tactical stuff or some ball work or different things. And then when we get into our season, then it's just one training session a day um, for about 90 minutes to two hours. And, and that's sort of built into your day around your class schedule and everything. So that preseason will go about two to three weeks and then everything else will be one session a day, you know, five days a week. And then we play two games a week. So Sundays are your off day and then everything else is Monday through Saturday. Yeah. So then, okay. So preseason leads into your season. You talked a little bit about you got a non-conference schedule, but then your conference schedule, like how many games like how many games in the full season? How many games do you play in a week uh, during the competitive season? Uh, we play two games a week. So Wednesdays and Saturdays is our game days. So that kind of 
you know, builds our, our sessions up. So Monday and Tuesday we're practicing to get ready for Wednesday. Uh, we play our game on Wednesday and then Thursday is, you know, we'll, we'll, we will train, but it'll be more of a recovery based training session. Maybe we'll watch a little bit of film from the game, analyze it, break it down. And then Friday we're back to preparing for the next opponent on Saturday. So we'll train Friday, go over our game plan, play our game Saturday. Sunday is an off day for the players. Us coaches are sitting at home watching film and then. <laughs> Monday we're back in the office doing it all over again. So that's sort of our schedule for about three and a half to four months, depending on, you know, how far into the season you go. So it can be a grind. And I think especially for international players, it's like, okay, you're used to playing six, seven month seasons. And when you come here, you're condensing all of that into three months, four months. So that's, that's really the other adjustment I think is, is important for them to know is regardless of whatever sport you're playing, it is a little bit more condensed than maybe what you're used to, but it's it's condensed for a reason. You know, we're a fall sport, yeah. so we have to be done in the fall, and then you know all the spring sports are in the spring. So it's it's definitely a transitional period for them. But at the same time, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And then we go into Christmas break for a while, and then we have about a month and a half off, and then we start our spring season when we come back in end of January. Yeah. So let, explain that to you. So off season when you're not in your competitive season. Um, you know, what do you, what are you doing? What, what does the spring season entail? And, and, you know, I think people need, you know, what I, what, what I'm trying to do is, is help people to understand that like you, you still, you're training every day. Like, like you're still yeah. involved with your team in the off season. And, and, and I think you make your biggest gains in the off season. And, and then during the season, it's about sustaining that. But, um, you know, from through, through the off season, explain, you know, sort of what, what your schedule is like with the girls. You know, in my opinion, the, the two best times to evaluate someone on their character and their work ethic is during preseason and then during the spring season. Because during the season's easy. You're playing games. You're having fun. You know, you're having that, you know, competitive release in terms of, okay, I can get my frustrations and my stresses out by playing in this game. And in the spring, it's a lot more spread out. So the spring by design is to give the student-athletes more time and flexibility in their schedule to make sure they're keeping up with their grades and, and doing different things. But, you know, that's when we spend a lot of time, you know, work, we work out in the mornings. We're up 5.30 every morning or four days, at least four days a week. And that can be a grind, especially for those that aren't used to doing anything. There's been a few players that have never really worked out before until they've gotten to college. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So in the off-season – Four days a week, you're up at 5.30 a.m. doing weight training and sessions? What? It's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's one of those things that, you know, girls will say, okay, like, you know, I want, what, I'll meet with them and say, well, you know, what are your goals for the offseason? What, what do you want to accomplish? And, you know, we'll give them goals that we want for them to accomplish as well you know, within the weight room. I mean, it's building from the ground up, so we want to get their legs and their core you know, as strong as possible because we, we want them to look different as a 21 year old than when they look, when they came in as an 18 year old, you know, if they still look yeah. the same, do our job. So it's one of those things that, you know, that's the time where the first month of the spring season is pretty much, we're just competing within our own team where, you know, we play a lot of futsal. I do a lot of small sided stuff in the spring because I want to make sure the girls are getting a lot of touches and giving them an opportunity to develop a little bit more. Then we usually get back outside end of February because we have a turf field and the weather in Kansas isn't as bad as, you know, like a Michigan or an Indiana. So we don't have snow for very long. Um, you don't have to wear a hoodie when you're out there, but at least we're outside. So we'll be back outside. Yeah. And then we play, we're allowed three um, dates in the spring that we can play games. So we'll try to space it where we'll, we'll, we'll train for a few weeks, then we'll have a game and then we'll train for two weeks and then we'll have a game. So we try to space it out 
in that regard. So that way they get a few weeks to get ready and they have a, a way to, you know, get some frustrations out, just, but just have fun playing in a game. That's what we're here for. I mean, they want to play in those games and you know, I wish we could have more games in the spring, but that's, that's the rule. So we just, we abide by that. And then we're done. We do that pretty much until the end of April. And then we get done uh, the second week of May. So we're done in April. And then I give them the last two weeks to just, focus on finals, make sure they're wrapping up any loose ends they need to wrap up academically. We'll meet with them a few times before they leave, and then we give them their summer workouts, and then they off they go for a few months. So, And then there comes the concept yeah. of accountability. Yes. Yeah, so here's your summer workout. That's what we do. <laughs> and they, they know it's coming. It's the first thing we're doing on day one. It's not a secret, and they dread it. They they know it, And but if you don't do anything in the summer to prepare for it, then – it's, it's a really disappointing thing, you know, and every team I've coached, mo- most of the kids will do at least something in the summer, but the ones that don't really have a hard time, that's where, you know, they're going to get, they're going to pull their hamstrings in the third week because they're not stable. They're not strong enough to, to withstand that physicality of the college game because they haven't done anything all summer. So you, you can't just show up and play. You, you have to really prepare yourself. Yeah. Well, now look, so I guess, so that wrapping up the whole thing, preseason intense, uh, the, the season itself intense, a little bit of a break over the, the Christmas period. And then straight away back in January and you're back into it four days a week, you, you know, and, and again, not, not taking anything away from, uh, from men's sports, women's sports. Like it's, it's, you know, it's across the, the board, it, it's, it's intense. Yeah. Like, uh, four days a week, you, you, you're in the weight room. 5.30 a.m., weights, doing a lot of futsal, playing some small-sided stuff, three spring games, plus all the classes, plus everything else. Sounds like a pretty busy schedule. Oh, we, we keep them busy. You know, if you keep them busy, they, they don't get in trouble as much. That's what I've learned over the years. So you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, we, you know especially at Bethany, we're, we do a lot of community service as a team. Like this spring, we're coaching, like, the kindergartners through third or fourth graders. So each a couple of players each have a team that they coach. It's just a local rec league in town, which is a lot of fun. But it it's a way for the girls to to give back and and really learn you know that part of thing. We have a lot of study table hours that they have to complete as a team to to keep their grades up. So it's not just go go to practice and then you have the whole rest of your whatever you want to do. I mean, we, we give them structure to follow. There's certainly flexibility and free time in between all of that. But at the same time, we want to make sure we're teaching them good habits while they're here, so that way when they leave. You know, they know, you know, I think the hardest thing for an 18-year-old kid these days to learn is a, what a deadline is. You know, they they wait till the night before to write a 10-page paper, and then they show up to morning practice kind of sluggish. And it's like, I don't care that you're up till 3 o'clock in the morning writing a paper because you've known about this paper for two months. So I don't feel sorry for you. So it's those <laughs> types of things that we want to avoid as much as possible. College kids are going to be college kids at times. But when we have those teaching moments that we can give them, I think that's so important for any coach of any sport you know, to try to instill in their players that they're, you know, teaching. Yep. Now, look, we, you, you sort of segued into it naturally. Um, how important is it for your athletes to make good grades? How important are grades as a college athlete? Um, you know, again, you, you talk about mandatory study hours that, that you put in place and things like that. So those are all sort of, you know, support systems to, to allow that. But explain um, – your philosophy around grades? You know, it's, it's cliche as it, it, it may sound. I mean, grades are everything because especially in the recruiting world, I mean, if I'm looking at two center midfielders and they're both 
pretty similar in their talent, but one's a 2.5 and the other one's a 3.5. I'm going with a 3.5 one 100% of the time because, A, they're going to get more scholarship money. B, they're probably less likely to do anything wrong in terms of their academic preparation. I don't have to worry about them as much. If you bring the good – if you bring the right types of kids in early enough, you don't have, you don't have as many problems on the back end. So every, every school has its own admission standards and different things, but the better grades that you have, it's not just mom and dad telling you this, this is the reality, the more opportunities you're going to create. So even when they're at Bethany, we try to teach them that business approach. Look, I mean, you can, you can go through Bethany and get a 2.5 and graduate and, and live a very happy life. But you know, if you're an honor student and you're doing those things and you're going to these job interviews you know, you're one of 50 applications sitting on someone's desk. And if you can tell that that person that you're an honor student and you graduated with a 4.0 GPA, that that speaks volumes for you as an individual compared to someone that just did the bare minimum and got done what they needed to get done and get by. I mean, who wants to hire someone like that? You know, when they can look at someone right. and say, no, this kid busted their butt. You know, they missed out on certain things, but they but they also are reaping the rewards in terms of getting this job opportunity. So some of them learn, some of them don't, but most of them at least will experience that situation in their life. And like I said, they'll, they'll learn one way or the other. But as a coach, if I can bring in those quality students into my program, I don't necessarily have to teach them as much how to be a quality student because they already have those good habits instilled. But you, you have to remind them. You have to remind everyone. But at the same time, they're just going to be a better person, and that's that's what we're here for. Yeah, so – like for everybody here, I guess, you know, the, the, NA, the NAIA has a minimum standard, just like the NCAA has a minimum standard for, you know, for athlete eligibility. Um, do you set a higher standard than what the NAIA requires of, of student athletes? Oh, 100%. Even when I was in the NCAA, it was the standards were the same. I mean, the, the minimum standards to be eligible is a 2.0 GPA. I mean, that's, that's bare minimum, like lucky getting through, I mean, barely doing it. So, I don't want those kids on my team that can barely get by because what if I put them in a game, are they just going to do what they need to do to look cool in front of their girlfriend or their friend or, you know, whatever, or are they going to do those extra things that's going to help us win the game? It's going to make our program better. I mean, those are the characteristics that, you know, I think most coaches will look at because it's those kids ultimately will give you more production than a kid that barely does the minimum, but absolutely I set higher standards. I mean, the eligibility standards are there to make someone eligible, but, I don't have a single player on my team that I've recruited that I recruited out of high school that was a 2.0 or 2.1. I don't look at those kids. I will find a different midfielder or a different defender, and that's just how I do it. So it's just each each coach and program is is obviously different. But like I said, if you can get those good kids on the on the front end, it, your life is so much easier on the back end. And you know that takes experience to learn. And you know I'm eight years in now, so I've like I said I've learned as I've gone through this and. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next year. But at the same time, I don't look at those kids that are bare minimum because it's just, it's a waste of my time. And I know that there's probably going to be more red flags with that kid than anyone else. So, yeah. So all you Australian New Zealand families, listen to that message, right? All you athletes, your, your grades matter. Not, not just to, to keep playing, no pass, no play, but, but to get recruited, your grades matter. Um, no, but, but very good. Coach Olson, you've been absolutely fantastic. Um, what my last question is, you know, what, what is the goal for, for the next season? You know, what, what is the goal for your program? 
and and what do you hope to accomplish over the next couple of years? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm technically in year two at Bethany, but you know, this is year one for me in terms of a recruiting cycle because I was hired, you know, end of March, mid-April last year, and that's not the most ideal time to come into a job and and try to recruit the players that you need. I mean, the girls that we have, you know, this year they were they were fighters. We only had a few healthy subs to come off the bench and you know we we were scraping by towards the end where girls were just so banged up but they were they were playing they were fighting and this year we're bringing in a a large recruiting class to sort of offset that but we also want to create more competition we want to get our you know our nucleus established and you know our the spine of our team is there now but this freshman class coming in is just going to give us a huge injection of energy and and you know eager eyes you know ready to go and you know, we want to get to that national tournament. I, I feel like we can compete for a conference championship this year, even with the young players that we have. And then ultimately we want to be down in Alabama playing, you know, in November and December to see how far we can take this thing. So that's our goal. And the players that we're recruiting are well aware of that. The, our current players in the team are well aware of that. And we try to remind them of, of that message. And But it's going to take some work. I mean, we're bringing in 15, 16 freshmen this year and a few junior college transfers. And it's, it's um, when you have that many 18 year olds in one room, you certainly have to be prepared to deal with some certain things, but at the same time, you know, they can learn as we go. And I think by the time we get to our conference season, hopefully we're firing in all cylinders. So I, I couldn't be more excited. This is the best recruiting class I've put together as a coach and I'm excited to see how this thing plays out. Awesome. Well, um, well look on a, on a personal note, um, just want to give you a big congratulations. Um, Coach Olson, you just, you just got engaged, man. You just got engaged. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I figured I would lock her down before she changed her mind. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fair enough. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was long overdue and, you know, but I, we, we couldn't be happier. It happened last week. We were out of town and Playa del Carmen, Mexico on the beach and it just sort of happened. Yeah, so Mexico. I, couldn't be, I couldn't be prouder. So we're, she's a good woman and she, oh, keeps very good. Too, so every great man needs a better woman no that's that's what i think my wife told me um yeah. no <laughs> but um but look coach olson i cannot thank you enough for joining us on coach to coach i think um you obviously you you've been very very successful uh in in your eight years and and you know you've, you've certainly been a part of what we do and uh you, you'll always be a close contact of mine whether you stay at bethany whether you go uh, anywhere else, um, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to to watch the the Swedes uh, in in this next season um, yeah. and and see how you guys go. You got a couple of our girls, you know, as a part of it. So, um, yeah. look, we, we wish you the absolute best of luck. But again, thank you so much for joining me on Coach to Coach. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Anytime. All right, man. Well, uh, look, we're gonna sign off. But um, but again, for all of you out there that want to follow uh, Bethany College through through the next season, um, jump on Google, uh, Bethany College Athletics, um, Lindsborg, Kansas. You, you can jump on, check out their, their website, check out their facilities. They've got some pretty awesome facilities. I think you would agree with that, Coach. Yep. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. We have a nice turf field and weight room, and we just put a new locker room in this year. So we're, we're starting to spoil these young ladies a little bit, but not too much. Ah, very good. Keep them, you know, like I said, keep them working hard. But, but again, thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Matt. Take care, man. All right, man.